Aaron? Yes? Did you touch my recording equipment? I may have tapped it lightly. You didn't use it to record anything? No. No. Yes. Yeah, I know you did. You want to know how I know? Because I edited the audio. Yeah, you know that episode that you recorded? Yes. Yeah, I did that. No, I, I did it. I You finished. I found the buttons. They did things. You're not going to leave, are you? No. Fine. You're listening to The Melting Podcast. A little of everything from everyone everywhere. With your host, A.F. Grappin. All right, welcome to episode four and a half, five, five and a half. Uh, this is episode six. Episode six of the Melting Podcast. Yeah, you know that episode you hijacked? That was episode number five. I'm good. No, you're not. I'm sure people giggled. Did you giggle? Yes. So yeah, episode six of the Melting Podcast. This is a main ingredient episode. It's yummy. You know, the the one that I promised you two months ago. But then we got some really awesome horror submissions, and you guys, that episode rocked. And then NaNoWriMo happened. It, like it does every year, I totally had no warning this time. We're going to move on to our next main ingredient story. I want to give a couple of shout-outs to our special guest voice actors for this episode. Evie Robinson, and from the Roundtable podcast... Dave Robison. One of my favorite people with his warm, buttery man voice. Let's get to the story. The First City by T.C. Forsyke. Wilkins knocked on his navigation screen after it faded to black. He opened his comm. Test flight AC-90 to base. I've lost navigation. I'm heading home. No response. Not even static. He pulled on the flight stick, and the jet's nose inched up just as he felt struggling vibrations from his right engine. It lost power with the stuttering that shook him. Thrust controls would not respond. He could only sit and wait while the other engine died seconds later, and tried to start the electronics again. Nothing worked. Base, this is AC-90. Electronics have failed. Can't stay in the air. I'm farther south than the flight plan. I can see the northern coast. Still nothing back. Wilkins shook his head and grabbed the eject handle. The plane started to tilt and nose down. No time to hesitate. He pulled the handle. Boosters below his seat ignited, and the cabin filled with an instant heat. The seat shot upward where the plane's canopy used to be, out into the cold wind. As his parachute deployed, he watched the jet spin through the air. It entered the jungle with a magnificent crash, A giant plume of smoke rose from below the trees. A stiff breeze grabbed Wilkins's chute and pulled him over a giant tree. His chute's cords allowed him to turn, but the trees were everywhere, unavoidable. His arms protected his face when he crashed through the treetops. His pilot's suit did little to stop the branches that stabbed and scratched on his way down. A burning gash opened on the back of one arm. 
The parachute caught the branches and yanked him to a stop far above the ground. He hung there, waiting for his adrenaline to slow, happy just to be breathing. He didn't understand what had happened. His new afterburners had functioned well. They drew more fuel than he expected, but the test had been successful. He reviewed his procedures and satisfied himself that the crash was not pilot error. The afterburners had switched off, the fuel was still good, and he had started his turn to base. The electronics had simply stopped working. The final thirty feet to the jungle floor proved difficult. The parachute remained stuck high above. There was nothing to grab onto nearby. He unbuckled himself from the seat and climbed the chute's ropes. His physical training served him well, and he climbed back down the tree with ease. Almost fifty, and he could still move like a twenty-year-old. He sat, removed his helmet, and twisted to get a good look at the wound on his arm. It stung, but bleeding was minimal. He pulled out his small emergency kit, sprayed the wound, and made a hasty bandage. Sounds of life started hesitantly around him. Hearing the birds calmed him. He reached for his emergency radio, only to find an empty pocket. Damn! If he were going to get out of here, he needed to find his plane. At least his afterburners had proven successful. The plane was a wreck, but his designs had worked. The jungle proved thick. He saw no smoke, so he walked in the general direction of the crash. He climbed over a fallen tree and smelled fuel on the wind. He needed as much sunlight as possible to find a spot for a quick rescue. They would be at least an hour to find him. The smell of fuel faded as he walked. The winds must have changed. He stopped every twenty steps to scan for the crash. Too many damned trees! There was no way he passed it already. His hands trailed across the trees as he passed. A glob of wetness caught one finger. He scraped some on the nearest branch and watched the remaining white foamy substance reform into a skin over his finger. He wiped the foam on his suit, looked up, and saw a narrow clearing layered with the same white coating. A foamy bulge, and length of a wing, proved to Wilkins that he'd found his plane. This foam must be a fire retardant. That wasn't the design of the plane. He'd worked hours with the other engineers on this jet, and nobody had installed a fire repression system. So who put out the fire? Hello, stranger. Wilkins spun, hands up. A tall young woman stood some distance away, her hands open and empty. She showed a broad smile, and her calm face eased Wilkins. He dropped his hands to his side. She was dressed in plain brown clothes. Her dark hair, however, flowed with colors which melted into each other. The wind pushed past, and a deep green highlight became royal purple. The woman's beauty stunned him. Wilkins preferred brunettes, but standing before him was someone special. Memories of his late wife crossed his mind, and he blushed at his thoughts. She's way too young. My name is Gwyneth. Pleased to meet you. I watched you survive your crash. Watched me? From where? Home is close, but you must accept my help first. She stepped forward. Wilkins grew wary. How could this dance bar beauty help him? She doesn't look as if she has any survival skills. Smooth skin, clean clothes. She looked more out of place here than he felt. Something about this felt wrong. I need to wait near my plane. The only way they'll find me. The smoke has stopped, but the electronics should still give my location. 
I should be fine. Thanks. Your electronics wouldn't have survived. She paused. That is why you crashed, isn't it? Your plane just stopped. Wilkins' eyes narrowed. Do you know how this happened? We've never had a plane fly by so low. It wasn't intentional. She tugged an earlobe. But it is our fault. So they can't find me? Wilkins glanced at the field of foam in the hidden plane. Staying a night in the jungle would be a nightmare. <sighs> okay, please help. Gwyneth's face lit up again with a vibrant smile. Great. This way. She skipped into the jungle. Wilkins intended to learn as much as he could about this woman before reaching her home. However, her pace kept him struggling to keep up. His endurance started to flag, and she turned and waited for him. Behind her, a sleek white shape waited within the trees. This lev will take us into the city. Gwyneth walked toward the vehicle. It looked like a small section of high-speed train. The door slid open as they approached, and Gwyneth hopped in. Wilkins ducked his head underneath the vehicle to get a better look. There were no wheels or signs of propulsion. He hesitated a moment before following her. Sit down. I'll fix up your arm. Gwyneth patted the seat beside her. The door slid shut, and faint humming started below his feet. He felt the train rise and slide forward. The enclosed walls reminded him of his uncertain situation. Where were they headed? Relax. She pushed his shoulder a little. Let me see your arm. He turned his back to her and let her look. She grabbed something off the wall and the cloth bandages fell away. A coolness enveloped the cut and his skin pulled tight. Gwyneth knocked a knuckle against the stiff new bandage. You'll be good as new in a few hours. Wow, that worked well. He twisted to glimpse at his new bandage. Another unique innovation. What is this place? Well, the Arbitrators have a big name for it. Most call it the First City. The First? There are a lot of cities out there already. Yeah, I've seen pictures. They aren't like ours, though. The fast-moving train rushed past the tree line. A fierce glare of light broke through the tinted glass, and Wilkins had to shield his eyes. Sorry. Here are some glasses. You'll need them. Gwyneth handed him a pair of shades. He leaned forward, nose almost to the glass. A huge array of mirrors circled around the base of a tall, white tower. Wow, is that a solar tower? I haven't seen one like that before. Gwyneth nodded. It's one of four around the city. They provide enough power for everyone. There's also a geothermal plant for manufacturing. Four? Jesus, that must have cost a fortune to build. We pull the carbon from the air for material. Nanoconstructors actually assemble the rest. It's all automated. The glare softened, and Wilkins got his first good look at where they were headed. Well past the tower, sprawling gardens and manicured trees filled his view. White pods hid amongst the green gardens. Several couples walked the winding paths and ignored their train. There's my house right over there. Maybe I can show you later. Wilkins continued to stare out of the speeding train. Much larger buildings lay further ahead. Their glass exteriors curved in a slight arc, as did the entire row of buildings. He noticed numerous train sections, just like the one he was in, parked high on the sides of the buildings. This transportation system was remarkable. He had to learn as much as possible. These are our educational and research buildings. Most of the children spend their days here. The mavens teach them all they can. The train slowed. 
that's where we're headed. You get to meet the arbitrators, or at least one of them. I don't know who's available today. Straight ahead, a huge white canopy extended over a large collection of buildings. It's the central control buildings. Most of our production comes from underneath, right near the thermal plant. Systems control and administration up top. Wilkins tore his attention away from the impressive designs around them. Why are you telling me all this? How can you trust me? I haven't even told you my name. Gwyneth, with a playful smile, pulled at the name tag stitched in his suit. Should I call you B or Wilkins, or is it Wilkins? Wilkins' skin flushed as he flattened his suit. I'm Bill, but most people call me Wilkins. Who are the arbitrators? Well, Bill, the arbitrators are our social council. They evaluate problems between people and try to come to the best decision. They're still second generation, so they've got a lot of experience. As far as trust goes, you accepted our help, so it's unlikely that you'll act against us. If you had said no when we first met, you wouldn't be here. Wilkins paused and nodded his head. Second generation of what? Of people, of course. The founders weren't impressed with their world, and so started trying to change it. The local government gave permission, and the university founded the city with their inventions. They raised the first generation, and then came the second. I'm third generation. My father used to be on the council, and my mother is Maven of Biology. She designed that bandage on your arm. A soft click sounded under the train, and it started to rise. It hugged the building to the left. Are you a Maven too? No. She looked embarrassed. I don't have enough discipline for all that studying. I enjoy the arts more, so I'm a much better communicator. That's why I was sent out to talk to you. I try to iron out the small problems between people before they become serious. Pretty much everyone in the city knows me. I hope to become an arbitrator after this. The next step in following my father. The train elevator stopped and the door slid open. The glass of the building also slid open, allowing them to step onto the tiled top floor. Wilkins trailed his fingers on the wall as he followed Gwyneth. His fingers told him this place was real. His eyes weren't lying. My only advice to the council is to tell the truth. They know much more than they let on. She pulled open one door and let Wilkins enter. He stepped into relative darkness. Brigadier General William Perko, Wilkins, age forty-eight, U.S. Air Force, base of operations is the USS Carl Vinson. Currently located two thousand kilometers east of the Dominican Republic, an electronic voice filled the shadows. Wilkins stepped forward, removed his glasses, and let his eyes adjust to the soft lighting. Five men sat at podiums around the half circle that made the room. They all watched him intensely. Welcome to First Integration Resource Systems Theory Community, our first city. He turned toward this new voice, hands behind his back. A thin flip of white hair hovered above the man's round face. Well, Mister Wilkins, it is a pleasure to have you with us. I hope your landing in the jungle was not too severe. You look like you handled it well. Wilkins gave the man his full attention. Sir, relax, General. This isn't an army panel. We have to apologize for knocking you out of the sky. Your low altitude flew you almost directly into our EM distortion field. That's why your electronics failed. There is very little activity in our airspace, so you were a surprise. 
The flip of hair bounced as he spoke. My name is Sinos, and the five of us are the moderators for the city. We've never had a visitor before, so I hope our hospitality suits you. The man let his words fade into the shadows. He watched Wilkins for a response. Come now, say something. Kinos raised a hand toward him. Wilkins struggled with a response. They already knew more than enough of him. If he was going to become a prisoner, giving them more information might be fatal. The level of technology he had seen just in the last hour would put most capital cities to shame. Any hidden weapons could rival those of the Union. These people had the advantage. I've never heard of this city before. I know there's nothing here on the satellite images. An EM distortion field? How is that possible? Why do you hide yourselves? He stepped forward. Kinos grinned. The field was essential for the birth of the city. We needed time to build... What's the word? Capital. Before dealing with the outside world. Your culture can be very corrosive. What do you have to fear from others? It looks like you've done well for yourselves. Thank you. But this city is a limited social experiment. So far, it is successful. In order to create the culture we needed, isolation was essential. Direct interaction with your capitalist system could have been disastrous. So nobody leaves? Not for more than three generations. We have access to your internet, but we still manage to keep your world at arm's reach. Some are interested in what goes on, but never enough to leave. Most are very happy here. So am I now one of your citizens? Wilkins crossed his arms. No, no. We might let you stay, but we actually need you to return home. Whether you're able to remember the past few days or not is up to you. Remember? What, are you going to brainwash me? Wilkins laughed under his breath. Yes. Wilkins had not expected that response. Sweat started to run down his back. This man was dangerous despite his appearance. First, we ask you to listen. Try to understand our culture and what we've accomplished here. We need you to be open-minded. You crash my plane and then expect help? Why not just brainwash me into doing whatever you want? I agree. The situation is not ideal. We can erase memories, not implant new ones. Also, our procedure may cause a loss of personality, something we wish to avoid. We need you as you are. Tell me, what would you have done if Gwyneth had not found you? Wilkins relaxed his stance. If my crash really was hidden, then the best thing for me to do would be to head to the coast and try to get in contact with the nearest government. It might take me a few days and my supplies are slim. Normally, I would stay near my plane and wait for rescue. Your people will never find your plane. A decoy sonar image was sent north into the sea as you crashed. They will be searching the water for weeks. Wilkins grimaced. These people were used to being in control. Do not take it the wrong way. This is all a matter of self-preservation. Our introduction to the outside world needs to be handled delicately. Your people would call us arrogant despise us for our values, and eventually try to take what they haven't earned. We can defend ourselves, but our resources are better spent elsewhere. So what do you want from me? 
We need you to talk to your newly elected president for us. Our system tells us she is highly likely to support our cause. Her attitude against corruption is reassuring. The president? Wilkins barked a laugh. Ha! <laughs> Why would she listen to me? She's shown a very critical mind in her campaign and seems willing to talk to outsiders. You can be our foot in the door. The message would mean more from a decorated officer. I hear she's busy with the recent civil unrest, at home and abroad. Yes, and we have some solutions for her. The truth, however, is that we are struggling for resources. Our land here in Guyana contains only so much, and our recent research has been struggling. We are prepared to trade our designs for essential resources and a chance to influence the world. Circumstances have converged. Soon our city must become public if it is to survive its constraints. Indeed, we might even save your own society from a similar destructive collapse. Collapse? <laughs> the American Union will survive a few weeks of civil unrest. We've got the most effective military in the world in trillions in gold. What can lazy socialists help us with? Some would have said similar things about the Romans, Soviets, Japanese, and Arabs. The fact is that the social characteristics that people take pride in will eventually tear their dreams apart. Inflation, unemployment, social inequalities, fresh water, and rising food prices all destabilize an already unbalanced system. Wilkins shifted his feet. These things are easy to say when you're on the outside. I expect we're much more durable than you imagine. I have no doubt in your people's resilience, but I'm not talking about a personal opinion. Our system has analyzed the data and it is certain. Revolution will take place in your union within a decade. It has been inevitable since Canada was annexed. Ha! <laughs> Pure prophecies. Wilkins pushed the idea away with his hand. How could they predict this? They're just more idealists. No, these are statistical certainties, born from thousands of years of data and analytical study. Your competitive markets breed inefficiencies that your hardest workers can't hope to fix. Everyone has an agenda to push. You just want your technologies developed and sold across the world. I have no intention of being your salesman. Wilkins turned his back and started towards the door. They didn't know anything. Kino stood and raised his voice. Everything you've seen of our city has been built without currency. We have no use for money. It has no place in our society. We just want to help and be helped. Wilkins turned back around, arms crossed again. I don't believe you. Our unemployment is 94%. Our incarceration rate is less than half a percent and property crimes are non-existent. The only crimes we struggle with are those of passion. Love, jealousy, pride, insanity, these things are hard to manage. Volunteers, like Gwyneth, mediate most problems. She does it for the health of our society, not for her own material wealth. Tell me, did she seem insincere? Wilkins shook his head. I sense no lies from her. She has never lived in your world, and so she's stayed free from the corruption of wealth. 
She is a true child of this city, a great example of what is possible. So why don't you send her? She's good with people. I'm sure she could do the job much better. The president should be eager to talk with her. You said it yourself. There is no deceit in her. She's a very poor liar, so her ability to defend or detect lies in others suffers. She would make a poor ambassador to your world. Our society provides little motive for deceit, so most of our citizens would be poor choices. Kino sat back down. On the other hand, your age, experience, and rank would prove influential in any discussions on our behalf. And if I refuse to help? Then we clear your mind of the last few days. If there are no side effects, we will drop you off on the coast near a small town called Queenstown. You can find your way home from there. And if I'm not myself after, would you still use me as a messenger? He ran his fingers through his hair. This conversation was tiring. Not likely. The damage tends to be quite variable. At worst, you'll stay here and we can use your genetic material. There's a good chance at a return to your usual life. His genetic material? Wilkins contained his shock by rubbing his chin. I need time. This is a lot to take in. We understand. I must also tell you our transportation will not work for you. Gwyneth will guide you around the city. Stay close and tell her when you have made a decision. Do not bother running or deceiving us. Just because we don't leave here doesn't mean we can't reach you. Wilkins nodded and turned back toward the doors. He had expected steel bars to hold him prisoner, not convoluted politics. He shut the door and saw Gwyneth bouncing on her feet. She dropped her expression when she saw Wilkins' frustration. He started down the hallway. You were in there for quite a while. She caught up to him. Did you get the answers you needed? He tried to force a smile, but it felt like a grimace. The answers only led to more questions. This wasn't the turn of events he expected. His training had prepared him for torture and interrogation. He never imagined himself as an ambassador. No. Was all he could say. She hesitated. Her hands clamped around themselves in a painful motion. I can't believe all the arbitrators were here. They must have had a lot to say. My father used to be one of them. She trailed off. He turned and put a hand on her shoulder. It's okay. I haven't decided yet. She let out a heavy breath and her smile returned. <sighs> There's a show tonight, in your honor. We should hurry so everyone isn't waiting. She bounded ahead and the wall slid open. Everyone? Wilkins never enjoyed large crowds. Well, not everyone, everyone. The theater only holds 900. We picked something that both our people know. Shakespeare. Are you a fan? Wilkins hadn't read Shakespeare since high school. I think I saw one of the movies. It had a popular musician in the lead. He hadn't been impressed, much like he felt now. The train slid back down the side of the building. Dusk had settled, and the soft lights in the cabin relaxed him. Ah! Movies. Here, we do everything on a stage. You'll love it. I hope so. He smiled. Seeing her enthusiasm lightened his mood a bit. She was good with people. I'm not going in this outfit, though. We need to visit my house. They reached the gardens and stepped onto glowing paths that wound through the darkness. Gwyneth approached a white pod, one wall open, and they stepped inside. 
Soft music started as light rose from the floor, reflecting up the walls. Cleo, quiet. The music faded. Who's Cleo? Wilkins looked around the sparse apartment. A simple design, with a small kitchen and basic furniture. A few sculptures and paintings colored the room. My system interface. She's a basic ghost, nothing fancy. I'm rarely here, really. Gwyneth flipped her shoes in the corner and worked a zipper on her outfit. Wilkins saw the smooth curves of her skin before he twisted around. His face burned. I think blue would be a good choice tonight. Do you like blue? Oh, I wasn't thinking. Wilkins sighed as the bathroom door closed. He hadn't seen a woman since his wife, years ago. This was not the type of distraction he needed. The door reopened after a rush of water. Sorry I surprised you. Wilkins turned. She sparkled in a short, dark blue dress. He couldn't speak. Thank you, she grinned back. I made it myself. The interior of the theater reminded him of home. The people, on the other hand, all had strange outfits, some with barely any clothes at all. Wilkins looked down at his dirty pilot suit and felt strange himself. Gwyneth pulled him along, away from the seats and toward the front. He resisted at first. Once he stood on stage, he tried to compose himself. He smoothed his suit and stood at attention. Without an introduction, the crowd erupted in applause. He blushed and rushed off stage. They found their seats in the first row. The lights dimmed and the remaining seats were filled. Bright spots centered on four actors, all in simple white bodysuits. Much ado about nothing, sounded above rising music. Clothing and hair emanated out of the actors' suits. Wilkins couldn't follow their transformations. He blinked. Two English women and an older man stood in a grass field. Another man approached with a horse, splattered in mud. The lights rose as the actors danced off stage. Wilkins glanced at the person beside him and recognized the hair. Kinos smiled and applauded along. The crowd dispersed and Gwyneth approached the actors. Kinos stayed seated. A good show, yes? Wilkins nodded. I hate mixing business and pleasure, but we must discuss things further. My peers on the council were not impressed with my attempts at persuasion. Neither was I. The man appeared older now in the brighter light. It was time to be aggressive. Are you always so forward? Yes. He didn't hesitate at all. The truth is, our attempts to fool your friends hasn't been completely effective. We need to send you home tonight. Even if I do help you, I'll need proof. Wilkins shifted in his seat. There are lots of ex-military who are conspiracy nuts. Kinos handed him a DVD. Here is the video proof you will need. Also, a simple trade agreement. You should be ratified with this. Wilkins examined the unlabeled case. The people's preparation impressed him again. It wasn't an accident that I crashed, was it? He shot an accusing look at Kinos, whose face flushed. Of course not. Things were working out too smoothly for them. No, not an accident. Our system spotted a chance to act and took it. It handles our resources, and it needs to use you. A simple extension of the EM field, and you were on the ground. Wilkins pounded his armrest. There's always more to the story. There are wider implications to consider besides just our resources. Kinos continued defensively. Our genetic diversity suffers from our containment. If you can't help us, 
We will need to find someone else, and that might take too long. You could be our best chance with minimal risk. All the risk is mine. I could end up outcast if they don't believe me. Wiccan's raised voice drew a few glances. I've been a vocal supporter of the Union for years. If I advocate for a socialist state, I might be jailed. We think your president will listen. You just need to be direct with her, and only her. Kinos turned and leaned on the armrest. And what exactly might you lose? A few more years flying? Human combat pilots are not used anymore. There's nobody to train. There are younger, better engineers than yourself. You have no family left. What do you look forward to? Wilkins covered his eyes. It was true. He had no grandchildren, no wife to grow old with. Our children, Kinos gestured to Gwyneth and the actors, deserve a better chance than what they have now, in both our worlds. He sighed. <sighs> Not everything is certain. Progress is all we can hope for. Wilkins locked eyes from beneath his hand. You're a bit of a bastard, you know. Even so, he might be right. Kinos smiled and lifted his hands. Why do you think they chose me? We're a good match. Wilkins rubbed his forehead. I don't pretend to understand our economics, but we always seem to be in some kind of trouble. Talking about things couldn't make it worse. I'll help. I'll speak with the president. Excellent. Kinos popped up from his seat. There's an aircraft outside to take you to Queenstown. Our futures rest on you. Wilkins shook Kinos's extended hand. No pressure, right? We'll be watching. Don't mention us to anyone else. Kinos winked and walked away. Wilkins stood and caught movement out of the corner of his eye. It was Gwyneth. She laughed and lifted him off his feet in a giant hug. <laughs> she gave him a kiss on the cheek before letting him go. I knew you'd help us. It was in your eyes from the start. I'm going to try. It's not all up to me, said Wilkins, touching his cheek. You'll do great. She jumped slightly. Hopefully you'll be able to come back. I enjoyed meeting you. You've been great too, Gwyneth. This place is just too much for one day. He took her hand and led her to the exit. Now, where's my replacement jet? TC Forsdyke lives in southern Ontario, Canada. The story was inspired by the engineering of Jacques Fresco. You can find him at tcforsdyke.com, and he can be found on Facebook and Twitter. We're going to take a quick break to promote another awesome podcast or audiobook. Man, I love listening to podcasts. You know what I really like? Podcast fiction. What if there was a website that I could go to to get a whole bunch of really cool short stories in all kinds of different genres? And what if, instead of just one narrator, there was a male and female narrator, so I wouldn't have to hear the female parts read in some high-pitched voice by a guy? And what if they had cool European accents, just to make it that much more enjoyable to listen to? Man, listening to all those stories really makes me want to write my own story. But I don't know what to write about. What if there was a website where I could go and get inspired to write my own story by looking at a photo to get story ideas? Wait a second. I can get all of this at everyphototells.com. Enjoy the fiction, get inspired, and write your own. 
everyphototells.com. And we're back. Yay! She's really not going to leave. Nope. You love me. You smell nice. Uh, our next episode, starting the new year, woo, woo. is going to be another Stoke the Fire episode. So you can look forward to that. Speaking of Stoke the Fires, we do currently still have two open prompts. We are extending prompt number three for another month, just because it's a really good prompt and I want to see more stories from it. And after Nano, we figure you guys deserve a little bit of an extension on something. Nano's a big undertaking. You guys are awesome. Yeah, I really hope you won. Let me know. So remaining open for another month is prompt number three, which is each food in your refrigerator has a different effect on your mental health. And prompt number four is a company just received an order of fledges. They did not order them. So as always, submit your Stoke the Fire stories. We'd love to have them. I mean, without them, we kind of can't do any more episodes. And you want more episodes, right? 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 You love us? Love us. We love you. Please? Yes. Send us your stories. And feed the masses. You liked my sign-off? Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can find our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. Find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast or email us at themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it, as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are from the Free Sound Project, and the music is by Drew Rich Creek.